Hello, you're listening to TBT with Grace and Emma, a podcast about the millennial generation and how we came to be. Today, we're chatting about the threatened iced tea industry, proms and their connections to weddings, and intergenerational romance. Emma and I also want to take a minute to wish you a very happy Pride Month. We also want to make sure to take time to encourage you to call your representatives to demand justice and safety for the children who have been separated from their families at the border. If you have not done done so already, call 202-224-3121 to support the Keep Families Together Act. If you can donate, donate to the ACLU, donate to the Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services in Texas, make some kind of effort to stop the atrocities happening to families at the border. Thanks and enjoy this episode. Millennials hate iced tea now. What the fuck? You're in Mexico. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me more, Emma. What happened? Wait, I need my computer. This is breaking. It's such breaking news. First of all, did you drink Snapple as a kid? Um, yes, the kiwi strawberry. Ooh. Yeah. Fun. Um, yeah, I remember Snapple was one of those things where, like, sort of for some reason it fell into the, like, um, bucket of, like, past as healthy yeah, like totally. my parents like somehow let me do let me. Did you ever drink brisk iced tea? Um, is that still available? I don't know. Iced tea is slowly falling off millennials' radar. Oh my gosh! In a study by YouGov Brand Index, twenty-three percent of adults in the eighteen to thirty-four bracket that us said that said they might buy iced tea. In January 2016. Since then, that number has dropped. And that's with the increase in heat in the weather. Um, oh, but kombucha sales went up 34% last year. Oh, okay. That's exciting. That's so exciting. Do you think that Snapple will get into the kombucha game? Yeah, I do. I think oh, they, I actually don't think they would know what to do with that. Well, that's the thing. It's like they have not changed their branding. They haven't changed yeah. anything. So it's hard to, um, not that, you know, not that you, you can't oh thrive. What? The picture of the Snapple CEO is just a doll. Oh, Larry wow. D. Young with a full-on you crew cut that? flat it's top. Like, yeah, like your gym teacher in a, in a sitcom about, like, yeah. the 80s. Totally. Like very square. Oh, so I full I truly encourage all of you to look up this man. What's his name? Larry D. Young. But you know, not you can't you probably shouldn't Google Larry D. Young. He's the CEO and president of Dr. Pepper Snapple Group. Oh, apparently Dr. Pepper is part of Snapple. Hmm. Um, because I think there's probably a lot of Larry Youngs out there floating around out there. True. Um, um what were we gonna say? Well, just like Larry I don't know if you can really complain when you haven't evolved with young people or like evolved with your clientele. Right. That they're suddenly not as excited about your product. Right. Yeah, and I don't I mean Larry's not really complaining here. I think this is more so just like the people at New York magazine being like <gasps> another story we can run about how millennials are completely completely like disrupting the market and like leaving right. people behind and like right, yeah. Right, right. What Snapple, four dollar three fifty for like bottled water, yeah, with sugar in it. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I buy that are bottled water with sugar in it. <laughs> well, that's that's the whole. I mean, it's it could potentially truly be illustrative of disruptive theory, mm-hmm. which is that idea that they're offering a cheaper, more convenient alternative. Yeah, um, and then you know flooding the market with it yeah overtaking the incumbent snapple beverage also these we are the coastal elites talking oh totally totally yeah what a week 
I it's know. Tuesday when we're recording this. Yeah, and it has been a week already. already. <laughs> yeah. For those who know us, we are about to graduate from grad school in a couple of days. Yep. What a big event. Yeah. So classes have wound down. We're just sprinting towards the finish line. Ooh, I'm not sprinting. I'm like literally hobbling. (laughs) We're doing a three-legged race (laughs) towards the finish. I'm just like, I'm really truly one foot in front of the other. But I, I did, uh, it's so disturbing to me how quickly I get thrown off when the whole like normal schedule thing starts to shut down. Like it's a Tuesday I don't want to tell folks how late I slept in this morning, but I really (laughs) did not get out of bed for a while. And then I'm in the lift on my way to Grace's house, and I'm looking at this guy, and he's wearing, like, a button-down and khakis, and he's, like, chewing on a, on a, um, on a Panda Express cup, and I'm like, what is he doing? And then I'm like, oh, it's his lunch break. It's a Tuesday at 1 p.m. Yep. What am I doing is the question. <laughs> what am I? I'm, I'm coming for this guy. I'm, like, criticizing his, you know, gnawing in a panda cup standing on the side of El Camino Real in the blaring sun on a, you know, in, in Palo Alto, California. And yeah. really, the problem is me. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I went to my five-year college reunion this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to share some... Highlights, perhaps a highlight reel or just some bullet points on big takeaways? Yeah, I guess um, I wasn't sure what to expect just because there's so many folks from college that I um, have not kept in touch with. You know that weird dynamic where there are people that you've spent so much time with and then mm-hmm. once you all didn't have proximity, that conversation just ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I loved getting to see the five closest friends that I had when I was in school the fight like the six of us have kept in very close touch I have a hexagon tattoo that is partly because of them like these are my ladies and feel really great about that um and all of the actual reunion parts I I hated it (laughs) like I loved being there I loved spending the days with my friends and then when it was the evening and time to go socialize either with my class or with all alumni classes in one place. Mm -hmm. I was like, why, why are we not at home hanging out, (laughs) drinking G and T's and playing our modified version of King's cup, you know? Mm, Totally. Well, yeah, it's interesting because I actually feel differently about stuff like that. I think I know. I was I was thinking of you because I thought Emma would just so we would flourish in this environment where I'm like, get me the fuck out of here. What do you think? Because uh, I thought that too. What, why do you think it is about it that you connect with? Um, the extroversion and the nostalgia, mm. and also I just love seeing like where where is everyone now? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely anxiety inducing. I hate. Like, I haven't been to my college reunion ever, but I've been to a high school reunion. We had our 10-year, I think, a year ago. Or maybe, yeah, a year ago. Oof. And um, (laughs) we... And it was, like, it was tough. Because, you know... Also, I think, like, it's tough to see people because you don't... There's so little precedent for how to engage with people who you know mm-hmm. but who you don't have a relationship with yeah and or people that you used to have a relationship with but you're like did you forget who I am in 15 exactly. years like there's this idea of like you're supposed to either be all in or it's like you ignore them and you're like I'm, right you know and then that whole in between is very tough for people like oh remember math class like that's hard yeah because you're not sure what people really retain and you're not sure what the common ground is other than like oh like remember mr appel like right he was 24 what is how crazy is that yeah. i don't think i ever had that conversation but i think yeah that's something but can i sort of talk about last night yeah too oh gosh yeah so we're in this sort of like purgatorial week in between classes and graduation and and, and hence the random Tuesday sitting in a lift not <laughs> knowing why people are at work moment. And last night, so in addition to Grace going to her five-year reunion this past weekend on Monday night, so today's Tuesday, so last night we had a big end-of-year celebration mm-hmm. that 
um, a bunch of the folks in our cohort planned and the theme was prom. So our cohort is called, our, the name of our program is called Poles. So it was Poles Prom. And I think it was interesting because we kind of landed on that. I don't know. Someone just suggested it and then everyone was like, oh, yes. And like, yeah. it didn't really like come into play. It wasn't super much. It wasn't like a factor in any way other than the fact that it was just something to like rally people around. And it was sort of like a good way to brand the event. Yeah. We had balloons and stuff and we like loosely had like kind of prom colors of like black and gold. But we didn't really, nothing about it was like prom-esque. But it was interesting to have all of these folks, most of us are millennials, there's some deviations from that, but most Mm -hmm. of us are millennials and we all sort of like rallied around this idea of prom. Mm -hmm. And so it made me think a lot about prom as a concept and where prom plays into our society and culture and how it was a part of our formative years. Snot coming out of my nose. Oh, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay. Well, really what it led me to think about was celebrate this idea of celebrations and I think mm-hmm. um what do we hold on to and what are we celebrating and how do we sort of turn out for that and what forms have those celebrations evolved into over the years so it kind of led me down this path and I did a little bit of research around weddings mm-hmm. because those are a big part of our celebratory activity right now right like that is such a thing and we are recording this in the midst of wedding season so like literally right every weekend it's happening. They are, they're, they're there. It made me think about how we know to have celebrations. Like what are the elements that we see kind of threaded through all these different celebrations that we have at different ventures or sorry, at different junctures in our life. And then it made me think, is prom like training wheels for weddings? That was my big question. Yeah. So I was trying to think about that. I don't know. Do you have any immediate thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that it's be there are I mean when I think about movies and depictions of prom on TV, I've definitely thought a lot about the pressure that it puts on this one event to be this cumulative, nostalgic, unifying moment, milestone. And how much like a wedding is that, except a wedding is about you instead of, you know, it's like your day to be um, nostalgic and and unified by the community that you've picked out. Mm. Yeah. Plucked from the fields. I mean, you can't, as my, as my parents always say, you can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. <laughs> Um, just that seems appropriate, <laughs> given that I just wiped a booger off of my, <laughs> off of my hand. Um, although I do think, that being said, there's a lot of ways in which we build our own families, and yeah. your family doesn't have to be biological. And you can have a biological connection to someone who doesn't feel like family, too. So, um, yeah. So I, I definitely agree. It is training wheels in that we come to associate these milestones with some sort of dressed up event. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's all these like traditions, right? So like when we were planning this event, we, I mean, we didn't have like a prom king and queen and mm-hmm. we didn't really like do that, but it was like, we knew kind of this pathway to follow because of what we'd been trained to do. And so I like used it as an opportunity to look into sort of like what, Okay. I get more boogers on No, me? no, no. It was my ankle. Oh. I'm like, ugh. I'm just everything. You're fine. Ugh, am I? Um, <laughs> no one knows. So I was looking at, like, weddings, and, like, I remember once my mom being like, yeah, weddings weren't really a thing until Princess Di had a wedding. D? Diana? Di. Di. Yeah. In Amelie, he's always like, Lady D, Lady D. You <laughs> really confuse me. <laughs> the rest of that movie was amazing, but that was a moment I was like, what? Um, but my mom, but I, and so I looked into it, and in fact, the 80s was like this pivotal moment, and I think Princess Diana's wedding was kind of like the first wedding in the public eye that was really extravagant, but mm-hmm. somehow accessible, I guess, because of her role as the people's princess or whatever. Yeah. So it turns out that weddings, and this is like having done a little bit of research through. Um, I guess the knot has like produces research about weddings. Interesting. Who wants to work for that team? That would be yeah. kind of cool. <laughs> like, oh, I work at the knot. No, I don't produce your website. I right. tell people how much the median cost of a wedding is. 
Yeah. Um, and so in the eighties, they wedding started to really kind of like take hold as like much more of an extravagant celebration. Previously, those who had participated in more extravagant weddings were often associated with higher class or having a higher income, but it started to really become democratized in the eighties. Is that trickle-down economics? <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that Reagan? Reagan was like, weddings for extravagant weddings for everyone. Oh, man. Cut taxes so you can pay for your wedding. Maybe. Maybe. Um, and then... Don't... Economists, don't call in. <laughs> Wait, we're good. Zach Lamb is like, actually... <laughs> Zach sends another diagram that's like, this is what trickle-down on economics is. <laughs> Polysign minor. <laughs> Literally a hashtag he used the other day. <laughs> Like, no one... Okay. Um, I'm not going to come for Zach. He's not here to defend himself. Um, And then simultaneously, this idea of prom was evolving also throughout the 20th century. And coincidentally, or not, prom started to really come into the modern... into Sorry. Come into the modern era through the lens of... um, Or through the medium of film Mm -hmm. in, like, the 70s and 80s. So apparently the first, like, real prom depiction was in that movie Carrie... Did you ever see that movie? Um, I I have not seen the whole thing. Oh, you've but seen I'm some certainly movie? familiar. Um, <laughs> Did your brothers make you watch it? No, no, no. We're too busy watching Leprechaun in the Hood <laughs> and The Ring. Um, yeah, which like what an intro to prom on on movies. But you were saying that yeah. also there were some other ones that that closely followed. Yeah, and then Greece and then we have the whole like John Hughes John moment. Hughes, yeah. And so like in the 80s like weddings are are starting to become more and more extravagant among the masses and prom is also starting to become more hyper exposed in sort of like the culture mm-hmm. and um I think there's like a connection there around like the cultural fabric is starting to really grasp onto these like defined celebrations yeah. and is really starting to map this is what this is supposed to look like. Yeah. This is like this is the pathway you follow. And so in the eighties, we as millennials were not really participating. we weren't around for the John Hughes movies when they were coming out. Yeah. But they were definitely still very popular mm-hmm. um when we were teens and were part of like the canon of movies that you watched, I think. Yeah, definitely. As a teenager. I mean it lends itself so well to like the romantic comedy genre. Mm-hmm. Because well, so this is what when you're talking about this, what this is making me realize is how much these events are made to centralize heterosexual relationships in our lives like Mm -hmm. the tone is set in high school and i think this has evolved fortunately because i think there's more visible queerness in in prom nowadays than even when we were younger Mm -hmm. um but it's like like the men ask the women to prom and (laughs) you know and like are they men they're not the the boys boys (laughs) the girls and they like they pin the corsage on them. You know what I mean? Like, there's right. this really reinforcing the point of high school was to find, like, to begin to learn how to find those heterosexual relationships. Mm-hmm. So that, as far as training wheels go, mm-hmm. it is centralizing relationships, romantic relationships between folks of different, different gender identities to them prepare themselves for the other centering thing in their life, which is, is it career? Is it, you know, hobbies? No, no. It is celebrating a successful commitment to each other. So in my research, I found that weddings have obviously become more and more expensive over the, over the past few decades. And um, that expense really varies depending on geography, for mm-hmm. sure. But then also, apparently the trend, one of the trends that's like really driving that cost increase is that millennials in particular who are getting married now are actually seeing, um, they're inviting fewer people to their weddings on average, but they're also increasing the amount of personalization of that wedding, which obviously leads to cost increases. Because if you just have, like, a one-size-fit-all, right. then it's going to be, you know, just hire, like, the whole wedding package. But folks are really striving for that personalization, which I don't really know how I feel about that. I get it. But it's also, like, I, I haven't been to a ton of weddings, so it, like, feels like... It feels a little problematic for me to, like, critique from my vantage point, but... um 
they all look the same. Mm-hmm. Same? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So like, where, where, what, what, what is the personalization really? How is that manifesting? Yeah. Like personalized name cards. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, whether it's true or not, there's a whole industry around having someone hired to plan to make sure that you have the flowers and the color scheme, and you have someone photographing it so that you can put it on your social media. But then also, you know, save it for yourself is not unfamiliar to have a wedding photo. Um, and I think, you know, what kind of wedding dress do you want? Say yes to the dress, you know, <laughs> let's go to Kleinfeld's and try on a, a Panina Tournay gown. You uh, know what I mean? Like there are a lot of, um, ways that these small choices feel like they, they accumulate into an aesthetic and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, do you have handwritten cards or mm-hmm. do you print them? You know, all of this stuff. <laughs> Adopts British accent. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you picked up on that. Um, you have your, like, go-to, you have your go-to accents. It's true. I thought the Minnesota accent was going to come out on this episode. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I can always bring it out. <laughs> you guys, I was in Minnesota and I was like, where's my bag? Oh, gosh, I love Minnesota accents, though. Yeah, so anyway, so (laughs) prom and weddings, are they one and the same? Are we just 10 years older? Are we, what's, what's happening? What's happening, peeps? Yeah. And will it ever change? I don't know. I'm like, where, where are we going with all this? What's the goal? Yeah. And the other, other question I have too is, is this enough, is this an example? Is this the kind of example that makes folk feel, folks of different generations feel that there's a narcissism at play in our Mm. generation Mm -hmm. because we're dropping I mean obvious like you said it depends so much on geography and socioeconomic then also just like your interest level in throwing events like there's folks every day getting married at city hall it's not yeah um, universal that folks are having weddings but this idea that you would spend this much money on something like a weekend about yourself where you get to be a bridezilla or you get to mm-hmm. have all eyes on you and have community that you want there. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm wondering a little bit about whether this is just a way of underscoring the fact that we are this narcissistic crew. Oh, but my point is that we were taught to do that. Well, I, I, the one thing I will say is I, I wonder if we're going to see um, a little bit of a curve. Mm. Because I think that... Mm, I don't know if we can really afford it. I know. And we can't afford it for our kids probably either. Ugh. So I, I do think that there's, there's going to be a turning point And that with this individualization, I think some folks are realizing... Um, they're getting married later. Mm -hmm. Maybe that changes Mm -hmm. what kind of event it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a whole lot of factors that it'll be an evolving, Mm -hmm. an evolving trend and evolving conversation. But Mm -hmm. it is interesting to know that what feels so normal for us, like weddings being a a big celebration, um, isn't universal for everyone. It's, It's kind of incredible that in such a short period of time, Within just a few generations, this whole entire industry has blown, mm-hmm. blown up in the way it has. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say that like I've become more and more excited by celebrations that are not the traditional ones. I think yeah. it's important to like come together around traditional celebrations. But like, so like last night, I keep coming to this. But like, yeah, last night we just kind of like. I mean, it took a lot of planning, and it took a lot of in- intentionality. It wasn't just thrown together, although things can be really amazing that are thrown together as well. But, like, we ordered a shit ton of pizza. It was, like, good pizza, but it yeah. was, like, pizza. Yeah. We've just, like, reserved a space that, of course, we have access to because we're all graduate students, and we're, like, paying an arm and a butt to be here. But, like, right. <laughs> we, like, rented out this space, this big room, and we spent, like, 50 bucks on decorations, which, like, was probably even, like, more than we needed to. Mm-hmm. And then we just all got together. Right. And, like, I don't know, what more do I need for my wedding? Yeah. Yeah. I was, like, a $500 or $600 reception. We yeah. spent about 500 on food and, like, I guess <laughs> almost 200 on alcohol. Yeah. 
And there were only 30-something people there. Yeah. You know, it does it does make me think about how, how rarely we have occasion to all get together that's not something um, religious. Ooh, religious. Like, if I think about holidays, Thanksgiving mm-hmm. um, is so much about, like, uniting and expressing gratitude and, like, connecting with the with community. For the most part, I would say that's sort of the theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people travel home or travel and, and see friends, and Friendsgiving happens whether there's a, yeah. you know, before or after Thanksgiving. But I think that otherwise, a lot of major holidays have, like, a religious element to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we seek those opportunities to have a, an excuse to all get together. Mm-hmm. And it's tied Halloween, to Halloween, I guess, is another. Yeah, but Halloween's not about getting together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, like, celebratory in a way. Oh, I hate the holiday. Holiday. I know Grace loves it. You love it. It makes me so sad. Oh, I hate it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Halloween. Well, it's because, like, for me, it's the one holiday that I spend with. It's got all to do with it spend, you spend it with friends. It's mm-hmm. still a reason to get dressed up and, and be happy and drink and hang out. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the spooky part, that's my own idiosyncrasy that I get <laughs> into. But I think just generally it, it's just fun to have a reason to celebrate something. Yeah. And, and I just think, I wonder if weddings and reunions and prom and all of that is trying to build space to be reflective, mm-hmm. acknowledge a milestone, even if, like, the wedding part is... It's a big commitment that you're making to somebody. Ugh. Although I think, I think the thing that lessens it, ironically, along with it becoming a bigger deal, is that, like, a lot of couples already have a bank shared bank account or already live together or already share a bunch of pots and pans so it's not like they're starting mm-hmm. they need to mm-hmm. be like carried over a threshold even into their new home <laughs> right yeah I just think I just think there's like something about like people want to be together and people I think like want the opportunity to celebrate and I think there's a way that it's depicted that's been like really there's a lot of like glamorization of it uh-huh. but I think like in the essential form like people just like want like a banquet table yeah a limo yeah alcohol if you're a drinker food regardless and like toast oh my mom is so good my mom is always like you have to have toast at every celebratory event yeah yeah she's like people otherwise feel like it's like why am i here Mm -hmm. when you're talking the first episode about um millennials and halloween oh Maybe this is uh, a similar argument to be made that, like, millennials wanting to recreate their prom is this way of, like, recreating this nostalgic moment and, like, dance. Yeah. And... That's what I was saying. It's, like, we're instructed on, like, this is an important thing and, like, these are the important things. But, like, literally just tell all your friends to save a date a month in advance Order some pizzas. Right. <laughs> and it is the thing. Yeah. Like, it is, like, there's so little that really needs to go into it, except for just, like, some intentionality. But, yeah. like, we are, like, it is the wedding. The wedding is the thing. It is the reunion. The reunion is the thing. It is the prom. The prom is the thing. And it's, like, no. All these other things. Like, all you're looking for is just, like, some sort of structure that tells people, like, this is the time to get to feel connected. Yeah. Because otherwise, I think people just, like, don't stop and do it. And it's also, like, it does take coordination. You want, if you want it to be about participation and people showing Uh up, that takes coordination. But, like, it doesn't need to be a wedding. It can be a random Monday in June. Right. When you're about to graduate from your program. But it doesn't even need to be that. I mean, I think one thing that, like, our cohort did an amazing job of this year is, like, we celebrated a lot of the traditional things, but, like... People showed up because people just wanted something to celebrate. Right. Like, we had a couple that got married, and, like, none of us were at the wedding, and so we used it as an excuse to, like, get together. And, like, you know, not that they didn't deserve the celebration, but, like, I think it was just as much about celebrating them as it was just an excuse for us to, like, be together. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, my point here is, like, people, I expect more parties I expect more, like, 
celebrations that are intentional not just like let's all hang out and like get drunk together but like something that's a little bit about like celebrating people and and thinking about how to do that intentionally and I I think that will bring a lot of meaning into our lives in ways that I think we'll all appreciate makes you want to plan another party Ooh, Grace's birthday Uh hey June 30th see you there Yeah, I mean, that's the day of the party. Right. That's the day of the party. I know. Your birthday is the 24th. Um, It's the 27th, and that was really beautiful. (laughs) Snot bubble came out. I knew I was doing wrong. I knew I was doing bad. My body was like, I'm punishing you. Not only will you get your birthday wrong, you're going to snot on her floor. Uh, oh man allergies never cease to exist in my life most likely to sneeze screw wedding season this is allergy season oh it's always allergy season all right let's take a quick break yep this is fresh air talk a little bit about millennials in the news this week millennials in the news <laughs> our recurring segment because truly we make we make headlines frequently so quickly uh and often um so this article was sent to me by my sister-in-law sarah thank you sarah um s slash o sarah s o sarah um and it is from the new york times obviously liberal media um it's called i married a millennial i married a gen xer now what by brooke lee foster also i just really appreciate how like we were just talking about how like this marriage is like the union of souls and the church and whatever yeah and then it's like these people are like we've unionized our souls but what do we do now yeah exactly right that Mm. that marriage is that moment as opposed to like being in a relationship but yeah. Anyway, um, and it really focuses on the differences in generations when it comes to relationships mm-hmm. that are intergenerational. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, and this was from June 7th, um, it's really, really interesting that they highlight things like, or the author highlights how they interact with their phones. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, the millennial being someone who is attached to her phone mm-hmm. and her husband is, you know, more of someone who calls. And that was like a challenging mm. way to figure out how to best communicate with one another. Another trend that they mention is that um, social media and the impact of someone who's a digital native is a, and grew up texting and emailing um, for at least part of their teenage life and onward um have a different uh, understanding of privacy mm. and the suggestion in the article is that gen xers are more private um and careful about what they share online i i would want to dig into that a little deeper this is just something that the article is suggesting that they don't <clears throat> quote they don't look for that same external feedback that millennials do huh okay um through social media Yes. Or in general. They're like, I don't need your affirmation. Um, I'm a fully realized human being because I'm 40. Fuck in, you. It suggests, like, there's a quote from a... Sorry. Coming in, coming in hard with the allergies again. My private life is private, he said. I don't feel the need to share everything with everyone. So I think it's... I do. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> Guys, I have a bad blister on my toe. Yeah. Really story. <laughs> well, that's what I mean is, like... I don't know if you can say that millennials are the only ones saying, like, had a salami sandwich for lunch, <laughs> you know? <laughs> we don't eat salami. <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't mean to come for you. <laughs> well, well, like, first of all, I don't like salami, but you don't think millennials eat salami? No, I, it, when you think of, when I think of salami sandwich, I'm like, oh, salami. It's like, you have your, like, what is it, Hentemans, Endemans, Heismans, 
Henman's. What are you talking the about? The Mayo Company. Hellman's. Hellman's. <laughs> <laughs> I sold <a> Hellman's. <laughs> this oh. episode brought to you by Heinzman's. <laughs> Hentman's. It's like Hentman's cookie donut. Oh. <laughs> no one Cookie knows. donut. <laughs> Heisman's Trophy. Oh, man, you got there. <laughs> okay, but yeah. you know when you have a salami sandwich as a kid and it's like... Yeah, you gotta put mayo on it. It's mayo and mustard and uh, salami. Yeah. I feel like everyone's always like, I don't like mayo, but I really, I don't mind, I like it on my sandwiches. And it's like, well, no one's eating mayo by a spoonful. I mean, like, what yeah. are the other people who are like, I hate mayo, but I'm gonna have one of those po' boy sandwiches and it's gonna be, like, filled with mayo. Or, like, someone like was aioli. doing this... So another trend is this connection to starting a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of women are thinking about their fertility. And so, mm-hmm. like, how different generations decide on family planning seems to be evolving. Well, Grace said that. She did this little, like, shoulder shrug. Like, imagine. No, like, I think it's very real. I think it's No, 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 real. no, no. Like a shimmy. I'm shimmying because I'm feeling it. Like when you talk about family planning, you do a little shimmy. Yeah. It just gets me so basically amped. Um, Birth control. Eggs. Anyway, keep going. Family planning. Different ideas about it. Different ideas about whether or not we post our salami sandwiches on Instagram. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure Brett40 is definitely updating his Facebook status. Like, young people, especially Gen Z, the whatever generation after us, they don't use Facebook. Oof. You know? But Brett is on there talking about how he bought a lawnmower. Like, you know <laughs> Brett, age 40, living in... He's on the book. He's He is on the book. I'm not totally... I would be interested in, in thinking about that. I also want to say that, like, for myself, I don't remember the last time I updated my Facebook status. Mm. I... Love the Instagram story, but mm-hmm. also, like, privacy is so deeply important to me that I'm not totally sure. If anything, our generation has so many examples of how, um... Just <laughs> <laughs> get it out. Get it out. <laughs> I'm making a really good point. <laughs> um, that... If anything, our generation just has so Oh, many that we see all of these consequences of misstepping online mm. that I think it makes people particularly thoughtful about. I mean, people post all kinds of dumb stuff. I've seen all kinds of crazy, wild things that people Isn't- decided to share. But I think that my... I'm so hesitant to yeah. share because of all the consequences of being saying something that I shouldn't or like sharing something that's too personal. Yeah. That's also you, though. Like, you are so good at crafting and and thinking thoughtfully and carefully. And I'm not. Quality over quantity. Hand me a microphone and I'll just go go ham on you. Hand me a microphone and a spiked seltzer water. And two hours later, it's just all all hell breaks loose. I'm I'm coming for you. Um, But I think also, like, well, what I was going to say to that is, like, hi. Like, yes, mistakes made frequently by yeah. people of all generations. Yeah. Huma Abedin might want to speak to this. Yeah. Totally. That was, I was, you know. Yeah, I mean, oh, gosh, yeah. I think that's super true. Think about how many people, Roseanne, like, Aww. just getting fired for, for... But it wasn't Twitter. It was the sleeping wasn't pill. Twitter? Oh, oh, you're so What did right. she say? Ambien. Ambien. Yeah. Makes you crazy shit. Yeah, it totally makes you racist. Um, okay, another point that the article makes that our relationship to work is different based on our, our generational identity that young people, Mm. and I, I think this is so true. So I, this is, I want to double click on, um, is that, uh, (laughs) millennials are being construed as entitled and having really high expectations, um, for their workplace. And I, I think, Mm -hmm. That is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, there's a quote here that says, um, Satya Doyle Biok, a, a psychotherapist in Portland whose practice specializes in treating people in their 20s and 30s, notes that many of her millennial clients also aren't willing to endure an unhappy or stagnant relationship. Mm. Um, and this is in relation to um, the same thing with their work, that that there are 
deviating from the traditional path. They are, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but they're they're seeking out work that's meaningful. Yeah. Um, but also having work environments that they're satisfied with. And so with these like different generations, they have a different relationship to work and also just different expectations for relationships mm-hmm. um, in and out of the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last line of this article, which I think is interesting and telling, is that some might view that as entitled, but I see that as hopeful, <laughs> right? Where it does sort of try to change the narrative a little bit around um, where this entitled nature comes from. But mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting in relation to romantic relationships mm-hmm that there's an evolving expectation for how we treat one another. And you talked a little bit earlier in this episode about um, the evolving value or emphasis on weddings. Mm -hmm. And I think a piece that we maybe didn't even touch on yet is like what's expected of a relationship, I think has Mm -hmm. changed over time, that Mm -hmm. there's this utilitarian or economic, socioeconomic a reason to have gotten married before. Yeah. And now um, it's not necessarily about that. And so when you lose that, it becomes entirely about the strength of a relationship between two people. And so mm-hmm. um, I do think it's interesting that there's a generational, like tangible generational difference in that respect. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know, because I do think a lot about, like, the economic mobility that comes with partnership. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. I just feel like, like, given that we know that millennials feel a little bit more insecure about their potential for prosperity, Mm-hmm. Right. Given that we know that, I mean, we all hate our, we, it was the, the article from like last week or the week before that was like, F you mom and dad, you ruined yeah. my prospects at ever like ha- buying a house. Right. Like yeah. that's something that like we've talked about. And so marriage is really important if you want to ensure economic stability. You're so right. Okay. Here's a question. Okay. We're getting married later. <laughs> yeah. We're living at home longer. <laughs> I think that this is such a, com- a a combination of having these changed expectations for relationships, like yeah. these heightened expectations and like prioritization of ourselves and our own careers um, through, you know, through waiting to have children for longer and, and all of those things. And so as a result, we stay financially dependent longer on our families because of the economic circumstances that we're in Mm -hmm. that they're this whole like living at home trend is inseparable from trends in marriage Mm -hmm. totally and so obviously socioeconomic stability totally i think you're right i think that that marriage well that's also why i'm thinking um living together Mm -hmm. like moving in Mm -hmm. before you're married being particularly common um already sharing a bank account or all of those logistical pieces are really un- highlighting that it's cheaper when you're split in rent. Yeah. And it truly is. Yeah. And sharing a bank account and, and all of that process. Yeah. And hi, we live in a patriarchy. Yeah. It's like really financially smart to get married. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. Yeah. Unless you're a queer woman, in which case you're up against so many unique challenges, like being in a, like, in a gay relationship when you're both female identified. Mm Mm-hmm. And therefore making less, is that what you're saying? Yeah. And you don't have the benefit. Well, I don't know. Has the tax code changed in terms of tax breaks for married people? Yeah. Right? Like, if you're married. Mm Mm-hmm. I think you actually have some, well... I don't know. I can't speak to it. Okay. Let's not go down. Who knew, the fuck wants us to talk about the tax code? <laughs> I don't. Get out of here. I mean, here. if I knew something about it, I definitely would want to know. I have something to say, but I'm not going to share that right now. Um, it's all very personal. Uh, <laughs> privacy. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Okay. I just keep thinking about salami. <laughs> I really want a salami sandwich right now. Do you? Oh, someone was talking about bologna the other day and how gross that is. Oh, I love bologna. Oh. I mean, it's, it is gross. Yeah. And I love it. Me too. I love the salty. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're off track. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, um, 
Yeah. So this intergenerational marriage piece, um, or at least intergenerational relationships, I just, I just, again, like I worry about this idea of like the monolithic experience. And I think like, there's a lot of folks that are on Instagram, but like one of the most active Instagram and Facebook users I know is my mom's cousin. Who's like 63. Right. And she's, like, very out in the open with her life. That's yeah. great. She's probably more out in the open than you are. But, like, you know, and are we calling those exceptions or are we allowing ourselves to complicate our understandings of what generational habits and trends look like? I think that's such a good point. And, like, I, this whole connection to our phones thing, I I am very interested in whether you, Emma, think that that is that is exclusive to millennial generations. Well, I also think there's like a cross-sectional, a cross-sectioning that we have to perform. Like when we look at this data and we pull it out based on like millennial, sorry, based on like generational information, I'm also like, well, what about like socioeconomic status or like profession, right? Like there are people that are like, like one of the, some of the most like active social media slash like phone users I saw in my life were people who were, they were older than me. They were Gen X and they worked, um, at an organization that I worked at that in a role that was really about branding and marketing and developing relationships and like your own personal brand, but also the brand of the company itself. And that was like their focus. And therefore as individuals, they were like super on their phones, super, not like in a, not like in an excessive way, but like in a really important way because it was important for them to be like up to speed on kind of like trends in the marketplace and like social media is a huge part of that. So like it wasn't about them as a generation. I think it was more so about like, what is your job? Like what, what sort of connections are important for your job? What sort of habits does your job like allow for or actually like plant the seed for and, and make necessary. Yeah. And, um, yeah, when I was, I was briefly looking at this article, you obviously you sort of read it more in depth than I did, but I think like, I remember when she was like, I don't like putting her phone down at dinner or like he, she'd get like looks from him about like being on her phone at dinner. First of all, I'm like, okay, well, what is happening? Like what is, what sort of like criticism, like sort of like standardization and like, what is he doing? That's like annoying the fuck out of her. What that's B one, a bullet point one, (laughs) entomins, heinemins, heinz, all the above. And then the second thing, too, is that, like, I just am, like, there are certain professions where being on your phone is just part of the culture. Yeah. You're on the phone all the time. Right. And then there's certain professions where it's not. Yeah. And that's not always about your generation. That's about the world that you live in. Yeah. I agree. I totally agree. Um, yeah. Cool. So, anyway, I just um, appreciate Sarah for sending this to me. Brooke Lee Foster for giving us a little bit of material to think through intergenerational relationships. And, um, I think there's material here to expand to just intergenerational relationships in general, but I think particularly romantic relationships uh, are an interesting case study for us to think about. Emma, what's your TBT of the week? Okay, so last night, our friend Ben was playing songs on his phone, hooked up to the device, and then Modest Mouse Float On came on, and it just made me think of sophomore year of high school, that band was everything, Mm -hmm. that album was everything, that song was everything. Yeah. Um, So then I just started singing it a lot. I will play here the clip of Emma singing that. Do you have a clip of me singing I'm it? pretty sure I do. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I think I saved it. Already we all float on. And then you can go up some octaves if you want. <laughs> anyway, why am I bringing up this song? I just think that that song really, like... It just... It just made a splash. Yeah. And then they went away. Bye. 
Where are they now? Good question. They were um, the favorite band at the time of my first boyfriend. They were his favorite band. Oh. Anyway, we should all be listening to that song more. Yeah. I it's agree. a great song for um, for you to play when you're having like that that nostalgic celebration that we were talking about earlier. Totally. It's all about like onwards. Oh, they're from. Oh, they're currently based in Portland. Interesting. They still still making music. They were formed in 1992. Wow. Damn. They've been around. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, they last released an album in 2015, and maybe we can get them on the show. Come on, guys. Live rendition of Float On. I think your rendition was so good that they couldn't possibly outdo that. Oh, thanks. (laughs) All right. Do you have a TBT for us? What's the thing from um, our formative years as millennials that we want to bring back into the consciousness? My throwback of the week is romances between, you know, since we're talking about intergenerational romance, uh, I was excited about older women um, being with younger men. So this, um, for example, Cameron Diaz and Justin Timberlake, Usher and Chili, Demi and, or Demi, Demi (laughs) Moore and Ashton Kutcher, Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon, um, and just this reflection of the changing economic power of women and the celebration of older ladies' beauty. You know who didn't end up with a much older woman? Joey Fatone. But he was the first member of NSYNC to get married. And on that note, thank you so much for listening to TBT with Grace and Emma. Email us at TBT with G, the letter N, the letter E, at gmail.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TBT with G, the letter N, E. Thank you so much, and see you in a fortnight.